Bible study. Before we do, we have text messages coming through. There's a bunch of them here. Let me just see. Where will we start? Okay, so we already James's one where he's doing uh, ice evangelism on the bonnet of his car <laughs> so every morning. Crazy. He uh, writes, Jesus loves you into the ice, but then mm-hmm. it melts away. Uh, Brett has texted in, how can Richard Dawkins even use the word immoral? Oh, wow. If you're an evolutionist, and this is a really good point that he raises, if you are an evolutionist, is there any such thing as morality? There mm. can't be. That's an impossibility. Well, I think the point that they make, like, because it's, it's, um, like atheism, which is like, that, that would mean like, so it's without morals, but like the, the, the moral of evolution is it's like the continuation of it, like, is what best suits the continuation of evolution. This is true. Absolutely. So the only thing that is moral in an evolutionary sense is to is, is whatever it takes to pass on your gene- mm. genetic material. But obviously, that's not defined by anyone except for, for yourself. So it's completely it, it, you could you could very easily make a case that, for example, like humans have ruined the planet, and you could personally define that as immoral. Yes. And there is nothing stopping you from them making the next logical step, which is humans have ruined the planet. Uh, so let's kill all the humans. Well, we need, at the very least, we need less humans. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get rid of most of the humans so that our planet can get back to what it was before. Yeah. And, and obviously, like, you know, a lot of people would see that as an immoral thing to do because we believe that life is probably the most important thing above all else. But why? I mean, if you're yeah, an evolutionist, exactly. life doesn't actually exist. There are just different forms of uh, chemical compounds. So, yeah, basically. So this person says, uh, Brett's texting, he says, how can Richard Dawkins even use the word immoral and make sense? Morali- morality only indicates there is a higher order of things governed by a higher power. Mm-hmm. Something atheism denies in the first place. Mm. Therefore, there can be no morality if there is no God. That's a really good take. It's just like because, because that's exclusive even to even to like the idea of theism. Yes. Um, because like outside of theism, like uh, it's very. Um, I believe it was it was uh, oh, Plato. Plato was the guy who who came up with like the theory of forms and essentially that everything that we know exists in a higher form that is outside of ourself and these ideas exist in higher forms but it it means that like yes uh morality because plato saw that morality has to have something external to it to define it Mm -hmm. uh you know external to the person to define what their morality and reality is um but if you just believe that there's nothing out there well then what's the point of anything Yes, yeah, it's this, very is, true. this is this is really where we're good, really good, big, uh, the, really good asking, text message asking the big questions here, Faith. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and obviously, we have the well, we have the answer. I have it sitting right in front of me here. This is called the Bible, the Bible, the Word of God. All right, Absolutely. we All have right. anything else to talk about? Yes, elephants. Oh yeah, what about them? Uh, someone's texted in to say, "I love elephants too." Do you realize that throughout history they were used in war to trample the enemy? I wonder if they thought they were playing a game. So, <laughs> Okay, so I did make that statement and then I stopped and thought about it and thought, maybe I'm wrong. And I don't know. But I do know that if you teach a dog to kill, and even if you teach a dog to kill human beings, Mm -hmm. for them that is sport. Yeah. Now, whether that, you know, transfers across to vegetarian animals like an elephant, probably not. And from my study of history, what I find is that, yes, elephants were often trained for war, 
but they were not actually very good at it, mm. which is why they were only used, you know, fairly rarely because they were fairly easy to turn around and scare and they would then just charge back through their own troops. Mm. And so it seems to me that maybe they thought it was a game until they started to be inflicted with pain and they're like, yeah, no, this is not fun and we're out of here. I uh, I, I don't know enough to really comment on this one, but I think well, that's a really good I point that's been raised. I would assume that an elephant has a higher level of intellect than a dog and has in, a possibility? in some way the ability to... Well, as you said, like once you inflict it with pain... Like, it's like, no. It's like, no. I, this, this is not is, fun anymore. Yeah. Whereas a dog will keep on fighting, you know. Yeah. I've had, uh, you know, hunting dogs in the past and, you know, they grab hold of a feral cat and a feral cat really fights. It's got four claws and a mouth, whereas a dog's just got a mouth, and but the dog won't give up. Yeah. He's just, you know, the predator, predator drive kicks in and that's it. He will fight to the death. Mm. Yeah. Oh, man. Interesting stuff. Saddening. It's very sad <laughs> stuff. It is a world that is messed up by sin, and I look forward to a world where we never even have to ask these questions anymore. Mm. Then we can just put elephants in the circus and they enjoy it of and course. do cool tricks. I'm gonna have. I'm just gonna have a couple of random elephants. Oh, in my bro! I'm gonna have like a penguin raft. I'm gonna sled yep. around with penguins. It's gonna be the yep. most epic thing ever. All right. Any more? Any more text messages? Okay. Here? So Richard Dawkins says it's immoral not to kill children with Down syndrome. Commandment says, thou shalt not kill. I suppose he knows something we don't know. I have just watched an amazing presentation on the history of vaccines, a real eye-opener. One of the questions we should ask is how Down syndrome began. You might be surprised. So I did a little bit of research on that. Oh, okay. Okay, so here we go. Um, Down syndrome was first described by Edward Seaguin in uh, 1844 and then uh, in more detail by John Langdon Down in 1866. Uh, so that's the first scientific description of it. Uh, there are paintings of people with Down syndromes that date back to the 16th century, so that's in the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the earliest known example of a person who we have been able to genetically confirm as having Down syndrome uh, dates back to, according to carbon-14 dating, 3200 BC, so that's going a long way back, um yeah so it's it's it is something that has been around for a very very long time. Yes. And apparently it's not hard to discover you know amongst you know the bones of people who have passed away to discover that they've got you know that extra chromosome and uh yeah so mm. it it's it's been around for a long time. Oh okay. Anyway. Um as to the origin of it well all I can say is that it goes a long way back. Yeah. All right, here we are. We the review on human evolution. We have an amazing God who promised that the truth will be triumphant. The lost, including the evolutionists, will be lost because they have rejected truth rather than believed the lie. And the truth is coming out. You know, we had that. I mean, that was such a revealing article, and mm. it is so current. And uh, it is coming from secular scientists, and they're basically saying the whole theory of the evolution of the human species is just a mess. Mm. And we can't actually use this as science. I just posted that up on the Faith FM Facebook page. So if you would like to read that review, head over to the Facebook page. It is absolutely earth-shattering Wow! Uh, for anyone who is a believer in the theory of evolution. Mm. I simply don't have enough faith 
to believe in the theory of evolution. It just requires way, 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 way too much. That's the end of our text messages. So we need to head over and get into our Bible study. We have um, a whole bunch of verses that we're going to look at, but we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 7. So let's start turning over to Isaiah chapter 56, and we're going to read verse 7. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. All right, go for it, Lawson. Isaiah 56 and verse 7, the Bible says, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Okay, so let's just go back to the beginning of that verse again. Mm. I, want you to, I want you to catch this. What does God say he will what's what does God say he will do in the first two lines? He will bring them to his holy mountain. Yes, that's in Jerusalem. Mount, that's that's where the temple is. Uh-huh. And he will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. Okay, so you're going to bring them to the temple. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make a bit of a list here, the first one. He's going to fill them with joy. Uh-huh. Uh and this is going to happen in the mm-hmm. temple, the house mm-hmm. of prayer. All right, keep going. Let's make a bit of a list here. Uh, and then goes on to say he will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices. Okay, so you're going to accept their sacrifices, yes. Uh, and then it just closes with because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And that's the closing bit there that is the clincher. Uh-huh. Okay, so the question that we were looking at yesterday and we never really got to finish talking about it was this, the election of Israel. Mm. What was it for? Mm. Was it to be redeemed? Was it for salvation? Or uh, you know, is that why they were chosen? They were the chosen ones to be saved. Or were they chosen to be vehicles who would offer the world what they had been offered? Ooh. So they were offered salvation. Was it just so that they're saved? Or was it so that they would then become the way that other people would be saved. Mm. This is what the Book of Isaiah is all about. Oh, yes. Like, literally, like, oh, man, we had such a good time without you here, Lyle, when we were going through the last chapter of Isaiah. Oh, uh, that- I'm so disappointed I missed that one. <laughs> oh, it was a bit literally like the last, the whole last chapter of Isaiah is all on this point. The last two chapters are all on this point. And right throughout the book of Isaiah, you know, when you talk about Jesus, if you're going to give messianic prophecies and literally like the first one ever is this will be the person who will bless the, like the world. You know, when, when it's, uh, told to, when it's told to Abraham, he's given kind of specifics on the messianic prophecy. And it's like, oh yeah, through you, the whole world will be blessed. The God's mission has always been to reach the world. Yes. And you have a book like Isaiah that expounds so heavily uh, on the, you know, pro- and prophetically on what Jesus would do yes. and how he would affect the world. And we just see another example here of the way that God has desired for literally all of, you know, Earth's history and Israel's history to reach people around the world. Yes. All right. Okay, so uh, let's continue on with um, this thought right here because what I find fascinating is that, you know, he talks about, you know, bringing them to the temple, filling them with joy, Mm -hmm. um, all of this happening in the temple, it being a place of prayer, a place of sacrifices, and you sort of think, okay, yeah, that's that's the nation of Israel right there. We Mm -hmm. get that. But then it closes by saying, no, this is all (laughs) nations. 
You kind of wonder what the Jewish people thought when Isaiah was making these prophecies or when they were reading these prophecies. Mm. And when they read this and like, this is for all nations, this is not for us. This is not just for us. Yeah, wow. Uh, what is for us is the job of telling all nations. Mm. And what they ended up telling all nations by the time of Jesus was, uh, we are the chosen ones and you are dogs. It's interesting, though, like when Jesus shows up, you know, we see their misconceptions of what they thought Jesus would do. Uh, they very much thought, like, as well, that they could fulfill this prophecy. Because they're like, oh, we just need Jesus to, you know, become the leader, the general of our army, to resurrect us when we die, and then we can conquer the world. And in a way, they'd be fulfilling this prophecy. Because, like, you know, they would be like, oh, yeah, sh- sure. Because then everyone will become Jewish because we will conquer the world. Like, we see the Romans conquering us. So it's oh, it's it's really sad, eh? Yeah, honestly, it is. It is. It is. Mm. By the way, somebody texted through to mention that vaccines go all the way back to ancient Egypt. I, I I can't confirm whether that's true or not. I've never studied that in history. That's a bit insane. Uh, the ancient Egyptians did get up to some pretty wild stuff. I've I've never heard of that before. In, in what anyway, form anyway. did they like eat something or? But here's my thing: uh-huh. is that Down syndrome has existed very widely in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. Um, the 3200 BC one was from Ireland. Mm. It's a long way from Egypt. Mm. Yeah. Of course, the point, the point that we're insinuating is that the vaccines very... Well, this, is the, this is the debate, isn't it? This is yeah, the debate. It's, and, and I feel like this has been a prevailing viewpoint over the last... Particularly, well, it's really heated up since COVID, hasn't it? Yeah, that you know what vaccines actually do, and whether it is the cause of a lot of health problems or not. And I've just got to say this: I am supportive of good science mm-hmm. and good evidence. Uh-huh. Sometimes I see presentations, and I just find the science and the evidence unconvincing. Mm-hmm. And anyway, we will see what happens. Let's, let's continue the discussion. All right, we got off topic with that. Uh, you watch the rest of our the rest of our phone calls and messages will be along the uh, along the lines of uh, vaccines now, pro or against. But anyway, <laughs> let's go to Hebrews chapter two and verse nine. Let's look at more important issues than vaccines. The Bible doesn't speak about vaccines, mm-hmm. uh, but Hebrews chapter two and verse nine has a really important message for us, and it's important that we major in things that the Bible majors in, hundred percent, and we don't major in things and we don't create a hill to die on on issues that the Bible doesn't make an issue over and create a hill to die on. Uh, It's important that, yes, we all have our own personal views and opinions and we respect that, we respect each other's, and we make our own decisions for our life and for our health. Uh, When the Bible is silent, we do that with our God-given ability of freedom of choice. Mm. Okay, so where are we heading to? Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, What we do... Uh, what we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than the angels, and because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Okay, so here we've got it. We've got it in the Old Testament. Now we've got it in the New Testament, where the Bible says that Jesus tasted death for who? Everyone. Everyone. Uh, this is a really interesting um you know, I'm getting sidetracked by more messages here. We're going to come back to these messages in just a minute. I knew that. I knew if we went down that path, it would happen. But that's okay. That's all good. Dude, that's I'm what, feeling your phone vibrate is, on the desk like every ten seconds. That is 
That is what the open line is for. Mm-hmm. That's why it is here. That's why it exists. We want to hear from you. We love hearing from our listeners, mm. and, uh, and, and that's fantastic. Mm. Uh, but let's focus on what our Bible study is for the time being, and after the next song, I'm going to come back and, and we'll look at those uh, text messages right here. Now, this is a good hill to die on. In fact, Jesus died for it. Oh, wow. This this idea yes, that God's yes. grace is for everyone, Yes, that God wants to save everyone, this is the hill that Jesus died on. This is the hill that the Christian faith has died on. Well, I believe the the, the faith of Jesus, the, the true followers of Jesus have died on throughout generation to generation to generation. Yes. And this is the hill that they will continue to die on as long as God's spirit strives with us in this world. Um, because, like, this is God's purpose man like this is exactly what god wants from you know sin this is the, this is the ultimate goal that's uh, right one of my favorite songs called side by side it's like one of my favorite songs to sing at church and it's like heaven is our goal and saving every soul there's like one of the lines in it um and it's it's just the truth of the matter like god wants to get us back and how does he achieve that so he's an interesting he's an interesting question mm-hmm. from the bible study Yes. I'm going to hide behind the Bible study. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, the Bible study said this, not me. Uh-huh. All right? It's heavy. You ready for it? Look at your own role in the church. Wow. So if you're a church-going person, look at your role in the church. Okay? Then ask this question. What do you do to help promote the work that we've been called to do? All right? Think about that. Remember. If you are not actively helping, more than likely you are standing in the way. Oh, oh that burns. Now, I'm just going to put this out there as somebody who has been a church pastor for many, many years. Uh, 27 years I've been in ministry for now. Mm-hmm. And what you will notice in any church that you go to, there's about half the congregation that are actively involved. And half the congregation are standing in the way. Yeah, wow. And they don't feel like they're standing in the way because they're coming along and they are, you know, participating in what's taking place. They're participating in the discussions and, you know, the worship service and so forth. But unless we are out there sharing the gospel with others in some way and supporting the mission of the church, then we're standing in the way. Oh, there's a bit that could be said on this. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Morality and morals are a social construct. Different cultures have different morals. The word moral is derived from the Latin meaning custom. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's what I'm going to put out there. I'm going to put out there that there are things that are, and, and with some you know forms of morality, that is the case. I'm going to put out there that there are some things that are universal. Mm-hmm. across all humans, regardless of their society or their culture. Mm. I would put it out there that the abuse of children is universally morally wrong and known to be so across all cultures. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you know, I'm just going to put that out there and okay so if you've got universal morality where does that originate what is the origin of morality you cannot you know there's some people out there who've done a had a really hard try at explaining the origins of morality but they all fall short 
I would morality, say the simple thing is morality mm. does not exist if we evolved. Yes. Morality yep. is whatever mm-hmm. you decide it to be. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if it's whatever you decide it to be, everybody's morality is going to be different. Therefore, there is no such thing as morality. I would say on a natural level, our universe functions better with forms of re- morality included. And I would argue that. And and that in itself is for me is like an an apologetic for God that like you know we live in a because you know one thing that's always uh, shared is the teleological argument how we live in a Goldilocks zone and it's everything's just perfect and just right so that we can live on this earth and whatnot but uh, yeah I think even you know another side to that coin is that our earth is set up you know in such a way that the systems that like and the system of morality that God prescribes in the Bible is the one that best serves the best life that could be lived in the earth that we live in. Like, and I, I would, I, I would argue that all day, every day. Like I would, I, I am, I, I am sure that a thousand and one scientific tests have been done that would confirm that point too. Okay. So here's, here's, here's my argument in, in relationship to morality. Uh, you can take, there are many creatures on Earth that have no morality at all. Take a, a great white shark, and I've used this example before, which you know reproduces, lays an egg. The egg floats around and hatches some other part of the you know the ocean. There is zero morality, and yet they are an incredibly successful species. You don't need to be moral to be successful. If you look at human beings in contrast to that, you find that human beings across all cultures. You're, and, and societies, you're going to find human beings who are um, who will do things that damage and or even uh, delay or delay is not the right word, but but let's use, let's use the word damage. Damage the po- their possibility of passing on their genetic material that disadvantage. That's the word I'm looking for. That disadvantage their own genetic material to benefit the genetic uh, um, material of other people. For instance, you know they'll go out and run an orphanage or something like that. Mm. And that's a great disadvantage to themselves. It's using their resources, it's using their energy to help somebody else's mm. genetic material survive. And that's complete opposite to evolution. Yeah, well. That should not exist. There is no evolutionary origin for something like that. Mm. It, it does absolutely nothing to, uh, to benefit whatsoever at all. But so that's, that's, that's kind of where uh, I'm coming from on this one. Uh, let me see here. Another text message. All nations keep at least the last six commandments. It's part or basis for all their laws for society. Mm. Very true. Where does that come from and why does it exist? Mm. Then you go to, oh, let me just see. I've got another text coming through here. Uh, I don't understand the debate. Down syndrome people are the happiest people in the world. Research has proven that as well. Why would anyone debate their existence? <laughs> wow. Mm. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that, but I certainly see. That's my anecdotal experience. Yes, you know, whenever I see Downs kids, they always seem to be happy to me. Well, well you know, one of the oh, it's so sad. Like one of the default arguments uh, in favour of abortion is usually that you're saving the child from a life of pain and heartache because they're born in adverse conditions. And How do you know the future? Exactly. Who gave you that ability? And it's, I feel like it's almost, it is, it is insulting to those who have come from adverse conditions to say that, you know, oh, like someone else born in their situation is better off dead. 
ask any abortion survivor whether they would have prepared, would have uh, preferred their parents to abort them. Mm. I've never mm. met one mm. who's like, yeah, no, I wish my parents had aborted me. Yeah, wow. You know, we've got an abortion survivor living, uh, working right here in this office. Yeah, and he's got a powerful story. He's wow. a powerful person. And he's probably the most passionate pro-lifer you would ever come across. Yeah, wow. All right, Lyle, we have three minutes. I want to talk about this Bible study. Okay, the Bible I know study. we've got more texts, yes. but like... Oh, we did have that heavy question right at the end, didn't we? Oh, yes, we did. We were talking about what can you do to help promote the what what can you do to help promote the work that you've been called to do? Remember, if you are not actively helping, you are standing in the way. Now, Lyle, you said that fifty percent of the church is involved and fifty percent is standing in the way. Yes. I I would I would argue that point. I would say that there are those who in seasons and periods need to be ministered to. Yes. Because no question. They uh, struggling, going through adverse conditions, and yes. and that's a good that's a good qualification. Yeah, like that's a good qualification. I'm not gonna, but I like what you said. I like how you qualified your qualification of me by saying in seasons. Yes, mm-hmm. that balances it right there. Yeah, because if all we ever do is just go to church and sit in the pew and be part of the local club, mm. then we're standing in the way. We are using the energy and the resources and we are accomplishing nothing. And God calls us. There is a God has a calling in our heart to do something mm. to promote the work of God and to share Jesus with somebody. I think probably the best biblical example of this is uh, uh, a, a Mary. You know, we have the story of Mary and Martha. And yes. Martha, she's doing the work. And she gets angry because Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus. But there are times and seasons where that's what we need. We, That's right. And in that case, I would argue that Mary is actively involved in educating herself for the purpose of ministry. And we see what happens furthermore. She's the disciple that discovers Jesus. Like Oh, she has a pivotal role right through the whole right through the whole story. And I would say that she, you know, we we don't hear, we don't you know, see much about Mary in the book of Acts or whatever, but I would say that she would have been one of the great leaders of the faith. From that that point on, and and it's because she allowed herself to be ministered to, and I feel like yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there are the same reality is true, and I've experienced this too. You know, we're both by this like I've been a Christian for like almost five years now. I've been Adventist for almost five years now. You, as you mentioned before, like in, I've been in ministry pretty much the entire time I've been an Adventist. Yes, and yes. so this. Like this is how you dis- this is a great example of discipleship right here. We are called to go and make disciples, and when we bring people to Jesus Christ, then we should bring them into activity for Jesus Christ. Hundred percent, and and I understand the reality. Like you know, I'm not sitting here in like from a position of judging. Oh, just because this was you know, I was very privileged to to have an amazing faith experience. But at the same time, yeah, there is the reality where you know we need to stand up in our churches. We do. We need to. And if you find yourself in your church and you're standing in the way, don't leave. Mm. Just find something to do for Jesus Christ. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Question of the day. So uh, our question of today has to do with what we've been discussing during our Bible study, morality. Yes. And essentially, if God, the, the question is, if God judges us based on a prescribed morality, 
is he really respecting our freedom of will? Okay, so there's two aspects to this. The first aspect is that uh, our freedom of will will always exist, regardless of whether there's prescribed morality or not, because wherever there is morality, there is the choice to be moral or immoral. Mm-hmm. So when God comes along and says, okay, this is what moral and this is what is moral and this is what is immoral, then we have the choice to either obey or disobey. It's that simple. So that doesn't take it. Having a prescribed morality doesn't take away your freedom of choice. But I suspect that. But what about being be, being judged on it then? It still doesn't take away your freedom of choice to either do that or not do that because you know that that's what you will be judged on. Mm. See, the interesting thing about prescribed morality, and I want to dwell on this for just a moment, is that a lot of people will look at the morality in the Bible and say, well, that's random morality, which God has made up, but it's not my morality. And so, therefore, it's not universal morality. I'm going to argue that everything that that, that God says in the Bible, God says for a moral reason. Mm. And the reason that he says so is for our happiness. I would argue that there is nothing in the Bible that God does not command us to do that is not for our happiness and for our best good. God does nothing and God asks us to do nothing that will be of detriment to us. And so what I would love you to do is to challenge me on that one and send through a whole bunch of, uh, I guess, Bible passages or you know, even things that God has said, do this or don't do this, and say, look, this is just an arbitrary uh, decision by God that has nothing to do with our happiness. Because I've, not, I've yet to find one that is not all about our happiness. There is nothing arbitrary in the Bible. It, everything that God tells us to do is there for a reason. So prescribed morality and arbitrary morality, no, not in the Bible. Now, there are religions, and okay, so I'm biased towards Christianity, happy to state that bias right here, but I would say that in many other religions there are moralities or things that are a moral requirement of that religion that are arbitrary, and even things that you know we might share in common with other religions um, I would say that if you look at it from a biblical perspective, it's not arbitrary, but you know, from maybe another. I'll give you an example. For instance, if you um, if you're an Islamic person, you don't eat pork. Mm-hmm. But the question is why, and this is a really good question. In many religions, it's just because well, that's what our religion teaches us. That's what the Quran says. Uh, that's what the Bible says. End of story. We don't question it. I believe that you know God says, come now, let us reason together. We should question everything that God says. And everything that God says, we should say, why? Why is that so? And then we should, um, and then we should look and find out and say, okay, this is the reason for God doing this. And so when I talk to my Islamic friends, uh, the reason for not eating pork is because the Quran says so. When I talk to my Christian friends, the reason, reason for not eating pork is because the Bible says so. And the reason that the Bible says so is because it's really bad for you. You know, this is just like one of the worst things you can eat. And, you know, the Bible obviously promotes uh, a plant-based diet. That was what was given in the Garden of Eden. And that's what humans being lived off for the first, you know, 1,700 years of the existence of humanity. And that's what we will eat in heaven. So that's ideal. But the Bible then goes on and says, look, if you're going to eat flesh... You know, have it secondhand, not thirdhand. You know, eat the cow that ate the grass rather than eating the, the pig that ate the cow that ate the grass. Mm. Um, it's a very, very broad principle. That's not, really, <laughs> you know, 
Uh, the Bible has got much better principles than that. But if you look at the science behind it, there's fantastic science that backs up everything the mm. Bible says and shows that it is for our best good in every way possible. This is Anders Svensson with Walk With You. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.